0: I am Marlon Jones, the career skills architect, and this is View from the Big Chair podcast, examining the cost to be the boss. The purpose of this podcast is to share information with students in sports administration programs and with young professionals and those who are underemployed in sports administration. We talk with guests who sit in the big chair, those persons who are directors of athletics, who are head coaches, commissioners, or directors of different areas within athletic administration. We learn from their journey, and we also learn what skill sets they look for when they are hiring for positions so that you know how to prepare so that you can get to your own big chair. Today, our guest is Tony O'Neill. Tony is in his second stint as a director of athletics. He first served in that role at Savannah State University, and he is now at Claflin University in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Tony, you started as a football student athlete. So, share with our listeners a little about your sports administration journey.
1: Well, (laughs) never thought I would be in this field. My degree is in social work, social welfare, and I was a counselor. And about two years into my career, I realized that God had a different calling for me. So, I contacted Delano Tucker. I contacted my head coach, Coach Billy Joe, and told him that I wanted to get into coaching. And he, he offered me an opportunity to come back to Central State. At that time, my wife wasn't interested in going to Ohio. So, you know, family came first. So I said, Coach, do you have any other recommendations? And he contacted Delano Tucker, who just so happened to be from Detroit, was very good friends with my high school head coach, as well as as coach built my college coach. And I went in for an interview to be a linebacker coach. And I started off as an assistant football coach. So about halfway through the interview, he said, I got an idea. And I'm like, OK. He said, the NCA is introducing this new position called compliance with your administrative background. I think you will be a good fit for that. And I'm looking like, oh, my God, uh, OK. I think I could do that. And the next question, being a young administrator, I say, so how does this affect my pay? So he gave me some more money. And that was the start of this wonderful journey in the field of college athletics.
0: Now, one of the things I think our students and our young professionals need to be aware are are some of those sacrifices. And you said the wife vetoed the move to Ohio. How hard is it to make that decision to give up an opportunity for your career to keep your family intact?
1: You know, honestly, people make a big deal out of it, but without your family, you're not going to be successful. You know, and you, you really have to, you know, take into consideration the move, the situation that would put, you know, your family in. And i was, we were young parents and that wasn't the right move. And, you know, ironically for me, you know, and I say God touched me in every career move. My son was born and he was born premature and he had a lot of medical issues. And the first. My first job was. Livingstone, and from there, it was all about the connections that I had within the field that gave me the opportunity to move my son to the best hospitals in the country. My son was at Miami. He was a children's hospital in Miami and through my NCA connections and I was able to transition from an HBCU to a historical white institution. So I left you know Delaware State and went over to FIU. In Miami, but each journey, each step in that journey, was guided by presidents, vice presidents, NCAA, uh, president, vice presidents. You know, just having the connections and then the, them understanding my family situation and reaching out to people in the areas where they could best provide the services for my my son at that point and. So I'd be honest with you, my first few jobs was all about moving for my son and my family. It wasn't about the career. It was about being in a position to take care of the family. And but the relationships within the this NCA family or administrative family allowed those things to happen.
0: Now, most of my students think they're gonna graduate. And go immediately to that big chair of athletic director.
1: <laughs>
0: How many years did it take you to get to that seat?
1: Let me see. Whew. Almost 12 years.
0: See, it is not just years. add water.
1: <laughs> no, it is not. and 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 for us, as young African-Americans back back in the day, I can say that now, back in the day, we realized that our counterparts were getting jobs that we felt that we were qualified for. So it was a group of us and it was Jerome Rogers, you know, Dale Robinson and, and Greg. And uh, we sat in Lance Boston we sat in a room one day and we were like, what can we do to make sure people notice us so we started wearing suits no matter what meeting we went to and we started presenting and then we got we got Carolyn Henry and and Stan Wilcox and and Hogan and and everybody involved and we started this major push to make sure that people knew who we were and we worked hard we got into all the leadership groups you know, organizations. We we presented every chance we got, and we made sure people knew that we were good at what we do. You know, and it didn't hurt that I, every all of us, B. Greg, and all of us were six four or better. So when we came walking through the room, and then then you see Kenny Miles and, and Big Mark and, and Walt, and then all of a sudden, the joy of it is when you and the women start coming in and buying in and so they called us the posse and then we look up and you got (laughs) you, Danita, (laughs) uh, Radcliffe. I mean, everybody. I mean, so as African-Americans, we joined forces together. You know, we started, the women joined in and we made this major push for people to understand and then look at you. You went on to get your law degree and everybody started advancing. And, and we made people notice our skill set, not the color of our skin. We made, made sure they knew our skill set. You know, I remember sitting with Stan, Stan Wilcox and Carolyn Henry and they they weren't getting the, the jobs in the NCAA that we felt they should get. And then all of a sudden Stan goes back and you know he's vice president and and Carolyn Henry ended up being associate commissioner and you know in the conference. And you know, so I look back at those journeys and and I I I treasure the brother and sisterhood that we had, you know, advancing each of our careers. And then each place that we went, we made sure that each of us were successful.
0: And I think it's the combination of the relationships, but we didn't connect to see how we could individually advance our careers. We connected to support each other on our journey.
1: Yes. And yes. That, that helped Very well all
0: that. of us be successful in different roles, because we had somebody we could call, that we could bounce things off of, that we could talk to, and who could talk us down off a ledge.
1: Right. I remember many of those conversations. Yes.
0: So relationships are key and critical. Now, you've worked in a lot of roles, and I think one of the roles is one that a lot of our students don't understand the opportunities that are available in that area. And that was with facilities and operations management. Tell the young professionals what kinds of opportunities there are in those two areas of athletic administration.
1: I definitely will. Let me take it back a little bit. I started in compliance, and as my career grew, I went on to and was able to become a director of athletics. And I will say this to all of our listeners and young people as well: Whenever you leave a job, you leave it better than it was when you got there, and you put yourself in position that if they ever, if you ever wanted to go back, you could. I was fortunate to go back to two institutions where I, I start, I worked and went back a second time. My second stint at Bethune-Cookman with my dear friend, my brother, longtime athletic director, Lynn Thompson. When we sat down, we we put a plan together to elevate young careers. and But in that transition, it meant that as a director of compliance, associate AD for compliance, I needed to find someone that, ultimately could take over that compliance role and take over the academic role and allow me to maneuver in other areas. So again, being versatile was very, it was critical in my growth. So and again, there was, you know, Lynn Thompson who said, okay, how do we, how do we utilize your skill set? So, as a previous director of athletics, of course, you have to oversee facilities. You have to make sure things are done. So he said, "This is where we're going to do." You have facilities and strategic initiatives. So you have to create the new things. You have to create the building plans. You have to still do your fundraising piece. You got to make sure we got this much money coming in, and the facilities are here. And from there, I got on the phone and I started calling my my buddies that were facility directors, and I said teach me the game. And as they started showing me the ins and outs of the field, I'm like, wow, this is powerful. And this, this is a strong field. When you look up and you're managing game day operations and you're managing for football games, basketball games, ultimately bowl games. I mean, it just, it expands that knowledge base. I, I I tell people all the time, you have a 2 belt the object of your tube belt is to find new tubes to put into that belt. And once you put it into that belt, you can always go back to it. So compliance was my bread and butter. But as I moved on through my career, you know, everything from coaching, I remember when Len looked at me and said, okay, we're starting a bowling program. I said, okay, cool. He said, okay, get it going. So I'm working and doing all the, the ins and outs of getting bowling together. And I said, you know, hey, we need to go ahead and hire this coach because, you know, the season, you know, the school year about to start. And he looked at me and he said, oh, it's your baby, you coach. I said, no, I've never coached bowling before. He said, oh, you got this. And I said, okay. And I went straight to my assistant, who was Sonia Hurd at the time. Sonia was an avid bowler. So I said, Sony, we got a new task. And she said, what? I said, we're the bowling coaches. <laughs> <laughs> ultimately, we built a program that was one game away from playing for the national championship. We finished fourth in the country overall and our growth. And from that, it led to me years later, again, not realizing, but improving that tool belt. It ultimately led to me being the first African-American chair of the NCA National Bowling Committee. You know, so again, you don't, you don't, you make the relationships, you work your butt off, and you feel that tube belt and opportunities begin to present themselves and you're in a better position to take advantage of them.
0: Now as an athletic director, you hire coaches and other administrators. What are the top three skills that you look for when you're gonna add someone to your staff?
1: I tell people adaptability is, is, is probably the first thing that I is because every situation is unique. I don't I don't particularly want to hear that someone come in and say what I what what we did at, at this institution, you know, and it's always it's always good to know what you did there, but you come in and you figure out where you are, how It is functioning there and then what you can bring to enhance it, you know, but you would never do what you did at your previous institution because every landscape is different. So when I would strongly encourage people to not to go in and say this is what we did at such and such, this is what we did at such and such, you keep that and you say, "Okay, you pull from the things you did at your at your previous institutions or or. From your colleagues throughout the country, you know, you pull and, you know, you don't reinvent the wheel, (laughs) you know, you, you, and then you have to be flexible enough to think outside of the box. And this is a saying that we've had for years. We think outside of the box because we could never afford the box. (laughs) I mean, you know, and my current president, we have a saying we walk into the room and we evaluate the room and we realize a lot of times people are in there playing checkers. We coming in to play chess. We playing a whole different ball game, you know, so, but we take our time and evaluate the room and, and evaluate the situation. And then we make our chess moves. People looking for a double jump. No, we're trying to get to the queen. We're trying to get to the queen, you know, so it's uh, man. It's, it's been a wonderful journey, though, just with all the lessons learned and and the relationships that you know are built. And I got to go back to something. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, my son did pass away, you know. But I I found a card that you sent,
0: mm.
1: you know, during those tough times. And I went through those cards, and I was looking at all. I mean, it was a whole bag of things, and I was finally able to go through them and. And then just okay, put it in its place, but it just went back to the relationships that were built. You know, yeah. they got me through those times.
0: Yeah, uh, Tony and I both uh, buried children, yeah. and that was one of the things that we were able to bond over. And I always remember on my daughter's birthday, my fam, you family because I was in Tallahassee where I didn't know anybody and I was in that hospital by myself preparing for my daughter to be born when I knew she wasn't going to live. And the whole FAMU family was there. You're right. They came, they showed up. They I would look up and coaches were just in the hospital room and the phone never stopped ringing from people Correct. all across the country, uh just calling to say, you know, we're here for you. We're here for you. Yes. And those those yeah. relationships did help tremendously.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt.
0: So. Now Claflin is in NCA division two. And most of the student athletes I teach only look at opportunities in division one. Explain to our listeners some of the opportunities that are available for them to grow as an athletic administrator that they may not find at the Division I level.
1: It's amazing. You know, you hear people and they walk into the room and they, they, their chests are sticking out and they name all these huge institutions, I'm at such and such institution. I won't throw names out there, but the power five institutions. And my comeback always was real simple. Do you know your president? When last time you had lunch with your AD? Who's your senior staff? But you're saying that I'm at this major institution and it looks good on paper, but your quality of life is so different. You're just a worker bee. You're not involved in the decision-making. You know, you're, 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 you're there because in a lot of places, they have to fulfill a quota for in regards to African-Americans. But the bottom line is you want to go where your quality of life is good. You will have an opportunity to have an impact on the overall growth, the holistic approach to the university and their student-athletes. For, you know, and that's crucial. So, Division One—that sounds good, but I know a lot of Division One people that aren't making the same amount of money as a lot of Division Two people. You know, and but again, being able to have an impact—a huge impact—and when when you can have the opportunity to meet with the board of trustees. Some of our colleagues at a historical white institution or these big institutions, they don't know the board of trustees from Adam, but those are the people who are making decisions for the university that, that know you. And when they know you, it helps them elevate your career. It helps them speak highly because a lot of people don't realize you 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 say I'm at Division One, Division Two. The bottom line is it's only so many athletic jobs. And to be a part of any of them is is a true blessing. You know, you have to be a part of it. And so I don't get caught up in this D1, D one, and and as an athlete, if you got a skill set in this day and age, it don't matter. I played football at Central State University in Ohio. We've had several pros. And you look across the landscape. I was just looking at the Hall of Fame inductor class for Black College Hall of Fame and how many of those guys participated in the NFL. And you look at how many of those guys have made it in, in professional sports, period. So find a place where you fit. Find a place that you will have an opportunity to grow and enhance your life. You know, not just be that pawn, you really can make an impact. I graduated from an HBCU, a Division II institution, and our program was ranked one of the the top three. We were the third best program in the history of Black college football. And I always tell people, I said, that's third is good, but I I want to put the disclaimer out there. The two teams that were ahead of us played during an era where all of the black athletes had to go to historical black institutions they had no choice they weren't accepted at the historical white institution during our era that's when it was a little more diverse the pool was trickling down and so when i talked to (laughs) some of the older guys (laughs) and they get there, i said no i'm not disrespecting y'all because y'all were the truth but i'm just saying you know, in our day and you know, we 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 we. There. But I'm gonna take third out of respect because y'all had to deal with things we didn't have to deal with. But again, just being a part of history, you know, and it's it's amazing. So I sit here sometime and I'm and I just pinch myself because I was fortunate enough to play at a, play at a HBCU and compete for national titles. I was fortunate enough to work at an HBCU work within HBCUs and beat the top teams in the country at Bethune-Cookman. I will use that right now because my relationship with Bethune and Lynn Thompson and Sandra Booker and Reginald Thomas and, and our former presidents, Dr. Bronson, Dr. Reed, Dr. Jackson, who believed in us as a staff. And we were, we were able to put together programs to go on. And our softball program beat the University of Florida. That day, that coach got fired. Our baseball program beat the University of Florida, and the only thing that saved their coach was the fact that we lost to them again in the championship game, but they won the World Series. As a bowling coach, we went to their tournament and beat Florida at their tournament and beat Weber, the national champs. That bowling coach got fired. You know, so the historical white institutions are like, that shouldn't happen. But for me, they put their pants on like we do. Any of these schools do. So all you want is an opportunity. And when you get that opportunity, you make the best of it. So going to Division One, oh, all that sounds good, but at the end of the day, I'm sitting here as a director of athletics and my life is good. My family life is good and I went to Little Old Central State in Ohio. <laughs> How about
0: that? Now you are also active in a lot of professional associations. How has that participation helped you to advance your career?
1: Oh my god. Again, that's that's the networking. It was I remember when we we were chosen as the second class of the Leadership Institute and you know, my president wrote the letter and we got in. But when when I was chosen for the fellows, I, I I'll never forget when they told me my my recommendations were overkill. Well, the chair of the committee <laughs> wrote a recommendation letter for me. And, <laughs> and they were like, tell me that's overkill. But I said, I just wanted you all to know I had I had some backing, <laughs> but it was important to get into the leadership organization. And then from there, just within your community, that was within the NCAA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and and local community organizations. It's very important to be involved with that because, again, the job, our job is to build relationships and to build programs and to build people. And you just can't do that just with the university. So it is crucial to get involved with, you know, the professional organizations and, that, and that's where the network can start, you know? I, I mean, when I became the chair of the National Bowling Committee, I remember they said, Tony, leave the room. And I said, okay, I, everybody walks out and nobody says anything to me. And I'm looking like, okay, uh, what's going on? And they say, oh, you're the chair. You know, like it was because of the relationships. <laughs> they said, we just, we just unanimously, you're the chair. But it was relationships and, and there was, my colleagues in both black, white, green, blue, yellow—it didn't matter. It was the fact that they trusted the skill set that I had to lead, and that was such an honor. Just like being a director of athletics is such an honor, because that means people are trusting in your skill set and your leadership capabilities, and you can—you—you—you—you you, you, you have to be thankful for that. But the organizations, you have to get involved. You can. You will never get anywhere by yourself. I can guarantee you that.
0: That is I so true. so true. Now, please explain for our listeners what the NCAA Fellows Program is and how hard it is to be selected to participate.
1: Oh <laughs> it's so funny. I just got off the phone with D.D. Dee Dee Merritt, who, who oversees the program right now, and we're working on a project together for our students but the fellows program is the elite program for minority administrators that that has aspirations to become directors of athletics or or just move in leadership roles so getting in that is very competitive it is very very competitive because it's only 6 individuals that 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 they choose per cycle and being a part of the second cycle was huge for me, but it it really went. The beauty of that, when we graduated from the leadership, I mean, from the fellows program, we graduated in June. July was the director of athletics at Savannah State University. And all of that again was when they did their research and they looked back and started reaching out to my colleagues and, and then the individuals who chose us for the Leadership Institute. And they said, these are the bright young, this is the bright young talent that we have. And so I can't say enough about the different organizations. And once you are in, like when I was talking to D.D. Merritt today, we were talking about when we get to the NSA convention, our, our reception and, 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 you know, how we're going to get together. And, you know, it's been a while because of COVID, but we're excited about our, our reunion to speak. Mm -hmm. So we're looking forward to that Thursday, Friday in Indianapolis to getting together and fellowship and, and, and laugh and share some of our journeys
0: and i want our listeners to also do their own individual research on ncaa programs because the ncaa also has similar professional development programs that they sponsor with women college leaders that yes. help prepare female administrators for higher level positions in athletics
1: correct correct i mean and and again um forgive me for being this way. And well, I don't need to be forgiven. I'll tell everybody. We were we as men are no good without powerful women, period. And women have been placed in a different category and they've always been our leaders. You know, so to see the advancement, you know, and when I got the phone call about, about three weeks now from Miss Sonia Steele, who mm-hmm. we came into the business together and yes. i never forget, she said, will you be a reference for me? Will I be a reference for you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and when she called and said, I got it, I got it. I'm going to be the new commissioner of the MEAC and I had tears in my eyes and then I called Jackie McWilliams immediately, who was one of the individuals who helped started compliance for us at at HBCUs to really elevate us and make us relevant, but to see those women in the positions they're in and then you know, you look at Shauna Brown now, who's doing her. I just saw her on Facebook, and I see her at the NCAA Final Four sitting at the table, and I text her and mess with it, like, smile for Tony, you know. <laughs> and Dorita Radcliffe, who's now married now, so to Michael, God bless him, but she's a senior associate at Arkansas. And China Jew, who's moved on to the she's, – she's now working with the Denver Broncos, you know. So the list goes on and on about the powerful – women in our in our profession and and it it is good to see our colleagues shine, you know, and have their moment to lead.
0: Now Tony, one (coughs) of the biggest issues that's been in the news here recently is mental health Mm. and the mental health of our student athletes. What do you feel is the athletic director's role or the university's role in helping to make sure that their students are mentally healthy.
1: It's huge. It's huge. When, when, when they come, when the students come to your institution, you become the second parent. You know, each recruit that comes to our institution on their visit, I sit down with them because it's important for me to explain to the parents and the student that it takes a village to raise your child. And we have to be all working in conjunction to make that happen. So with that said, we utilize the NCA resources, we utilize our campus resources and understanding the the privacy issues regarding that. And I met with a student the other day who came to me in reference to a service uh, animal and sent me the documentation and wanted to make sure that that the university understood what they were dealing with and i offered the the counseling to them as well and but the confidentiality of that is huge but it is is an important and as a director of athletics I, i i truly believe it is important for me to have that open door policy and make sure that our students feel comfortable feel comfortable coming to me. A lot of our students, you know, when I, I know who I am and I'm comfortable with who I am and what I am as a man, as a person, as a father, as a husband, as a leader. So a lot of our students call me T.O. They may say, Mr. T.O., but it's T.O., you know, and, and, or I remember one of the basketball players said, he said, can I can I, can can I can I just say OG? <laughs> and I started laughing. I'm like, I guess I am an OG. They say Mr. OG. I'm like, <laughs> and that's the funniest thing. But again, it's not that I'm on a pedestal up here. I'm I'm actually putting myself at a level where they're comfortable enough to come to me. And I'm a father of six daughters, six beautiful, spoiled, lovely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Princesses and,
1: and dealing with the young ladies is is it's one of my gifts you know because i do it at home so much and and for them to feel comfortable enough to to share some of the issues that they have as young women is it's a tribute to i say to my family and and the lessons learned from them you know so but as a director of athletics, you have to have that open door policy. You have to be connected enough to, to make things happen and especially to make things happen sometimes faster than the system is set up for it to happen, you know, because you're looking at the overall and having the trust of your colleagues across campus to, to move when you say this is an urgent matter, you know, not they're not moving because Tony O'Neill is the director of athletics. They're moving because Tony O'Neill, they're comfortable with and the recommendations that I'm making, and they know that I'm going to do my research prior to sending them to the different areas or getting them involved. So, but as as a director, it's, it's part it's it's a huge part of the job, especially today, especially today.
0: Now, what's the one thing you wish you knew before you got in that big chair?
1: You know, I read that question before. I started laughing. And (laughs) that was a tough one for me to answer when I said I wish I knew because all of the training kind of set us up for it. and, And I was always one to follow, you know, the, the the legends before me, you know, and I got to say this, my my mentor through the Leadership Institute was Craig Littlepage, who was the Director of Athletics at Virginia. We're talking about Virginia. OK, he was the Director of Athletics at Virginia and and he became my mentor and our friendship has grown. I mean, even to this day, we, we stay in touch. We just finished texting each other a few days ago. But. Oh man, it's, oh, it's a blessing. But
0: so your mentor set you up for success so that you yes. really didn't have a lot of big surprises.
1: No, not a lot of big surprises. And I paid attention. And the other thing you have to do is you have to pay attention to what is being said and and then being able to take it and look at your situation and and make it fit. You know, so, I mean, you, you you really have to, you have to be open-minded. You can't be closed-minded. If you're closed-minded, you fail. And if you think you know it all, you're definitely not in the right position, right job. So what surprised me, I think I was ready for a little bit of everything. And I think the biggest thing was the fact that when something new came, it was somebody I could call that had already been through something similar.
0: That's key. That's yeah. key. Nothing beats experience.
1: Yes. <laughs> no substitution for experience. You got that right.
0: Now, Tony, what has been your biggest challenge or mistake, and how have you overcome it?
1: Biggest challenge early on was juggling family. Again, because you want to be successful, you, re- you really want to. Make your mark, and especially during the era in which we came up, it was a different situation. You you had to fight so hard just to be recognized in your profession, and then juggling, you know, your kids and your family. I think I was blessed, but life lessons with my son's situation that that automatically took me back to the family because, you know, each day we were fighting a different kind of situation. So, but the biggest challenge is making sure that you balance, you balance your life. And if you can't, if you don't balance your life, because one thing I'll tell you, that job is going to be there. It was there long before you got there. going to be there long after you're gone. You give it the best you got, but if you're not your family's not in a good place and, and then it's not working for you. And, you know, and you gotta balance my my children grew up on campus, you know, so much that as they got older, they didn't want to come back and go to school for free. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cause they were tired of being on yeah. that campus.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we'll have we'll have. Two daughters out of the six that that actually came to school with me, and uh, three actually, and one transferred out. My oldest transferred out, and and, uh, and but it's a lot of additional responsibility on them as well. And and sometimes, like they said, Dad, we we just you know we we just want to be who we are. And every time they see us, they say that's Tony' daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then they find out they go to another institution, and they, steal Tony's they still Tony's daughter. They find, once they find out that that's my baby. <laughs> my daughter's at FAU right now. And she turned her head like, oh, that's that's Tony's daughter. She, you know, so you can't escape. You can't escape it. Who but in their minds, they are. Yeah. But that's OK.
0: <laughs> my daddy used to say that, you know, you have to be careful with your job and letting it overtake your life because he hmm. said, if you die tomorrow, yep. they may remember to send some flowers to your family or they may not, <laughs> but they definitely will have you replaced before the end yes, of the week.
1: Indeed. Yes, indeed. Your daddy was a wise man. And, and I preach that constantly, you know, that, you know, this, you know, quality of life, yes. you know, and that balance. So, I, you know, the, the thing is that I would recommend is you find that balance, especially when you're young in your career, you know, and, and remember that it's not just all about you. Yes. You've got to know it's not all about you. You have to make those sacrifices. When we went to South Carolina, we had one baby left and we did everything to set her up, and COVID kind of disrupted things. And she ultimately, I'll never forget when she broke down and she says, all of my sisters graduated from Spruce Creek and I'm gonna be the only one. I wanna be like my sisters. And I'm like, oh, I don't know how we're gonna do that. And her older sister said to me, daddy, bring my baby sister here to me and that's how we were able so family again stepped up and to my daughter's credit the baby she finished her classes she's graduate officially a graduate of high school and she's moving on to college in january and she will be with her sister who's a junior and they will be in college together so again god works you know but balancing that family and being able to you know that was crucial.
0: Now, you just talked about sacrifices. So we know nothing's free. What are some of the sacrifices that you think our young professionals need to be aware of that they're going to have to consider as they progress through their career?
1: Mm. I think one of the crucial sacrifices that I, that people will make is financial. You know, financially, you're going to sacrifice a lot, you know, because first, when you're starting, you're not going to walk into that big job. You'd be very lucky to walk into that big job. So, you know, but in other areas, other jobs outside of, say, college athletics, that might be more lucrative financially. But understanding the rewards to... Being a part of athletics or being a part of uh, collegiate administration, there there are a lot of pluses there. So it's, it's 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 crucial that you pay attention to those little things. But the sacrifice, you know, you 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 you're gonna make. I think the the biggest sacrifice early on is financial, and then, you know, I don't know if I want to say sacrifice, but the thing you have to be cognizant of is with the financial challenges how to balance that you know with being a young parent if that's the case you know or or your wife and her career or your husband or the husband in their career and and which state that you can live in that that will that will balance that thing for both of you and and just finding that common that common ground you know that, that makes the sacrifices not as heavy. You know, they are going to be sacrifices, but you want to balance that. And, and I know this this is a little off track, but wherever you go, whatever job you take, the first rule of thumb that I tell all of our young people is this. If they have a 401k, max it out. They look at me and they say, what do you mean? I can't afford it. I say, yes, you can. I say, max it out. I said, where else are you going to get free money? If they're matching, you get 3% and they're coming in with 3%, 7%, whatever that is, you max it because one thing you will learn to do is pay your bills. So once that money starts coming out and it's out of sight, out of mind, and it's growing and it's growing and you you don't see it and before you look up, you're 10 years in and you've been putting money in that 401k and you got a nest egg. You know, I'm at the end of my career. I maybe have 10 years left. And so my thought process is totally different now. It's it's about maximizing all of the income because I want to enjoy retirement. But fortunately for me, I'm in a field that as long as my mind is sharp and my body can move, I can work a little longer than the, uh, the retirement age and be successful, but I have to plan as though 65 is, you know, and but so I would tell all of you early on to make that financial sacrifice too. No matter what your salary is, you match that 401k that your institution is providing for you. Any opportunity to put money aside, take advantage of it.
0: The last thing you want to do is get into retirement and have to downgrade your standard of living because you don't have enough money to afford the house that you've been living in or be able to drive the car that you've been driving. And you don't have enough money to even downgrade to a lower level of car.
1: (laughs) You hit it on the head. So let me give the definition of retirement as Our business manager says all the time, Bonnie and Tony, definition of retirement, to be able to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, and how you want to do it. That's retirement.
0: All right, all right. (laughs) Now it's overtime.
1: Overtime! Okay.
0: (laughs) What book do you suggest expiring sport administrators read?
1: It was uh, what is that? Uh, the cheese. Move my cheese.
0: Who moved my cheese?
1: Oh know- my god! Phenomenal.
0: What has been your best day in the big chair?
1: Each graduation day.
0: Conversely, what's been your worst day?
1: Unfortunately, when the Lord takes someone early in the profession and a student because it's happening and you have to deal with that, that's been my worst. And knowing what the parent is going through when the loss of a child, that's that's been the most difficult. All the other stuff I can, you know, that's, you know, wins, losses and things like that. that, that's nothing, you know, so... I would say that would be my worst.
0: What is your go-to inspirational quote?
1: <laughs> wow. That's a good one. And don't laugh at me, y'all, but it's, it's not just a quote. It's, it's a song that I used to listen to as a football player And people said, Oh, what are you listening to? And it was the greatest love of all by Whitney Houston. And they listening to the Kumo D and Run DMC, and they listen. And I'm over there, and I got my mellow song going. And they're like, "Oh, tell them what you listen listening to." I said, "The greatest love of all." And they start laughing. But then I said, "You know, the greatest love of all is inside of me." And I believe the children are our future. Teach them well, and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. That's what I live on. Every day.
0: And what is a motivational movie that you suggest young professionals watch?
1: (laughs) You know what? That's a good one. But I I can't say my motivational movie because I'm I'm a hood rat from Detroit. So (laughs) mine was just, ooh, I don't know. That's a good one. Uh, Jackie Robinson.
0: (laughs) Jackie Robinson. All right, we're going to go with that. That's that's the one we're going to go with. (laughs) Tony, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your pearls of wisdom with the next generation of young professionals. You're right, we're nearing the end. And I think it's our responsibility as we get closer to closing out our careers that we share what we've learned with those who are coming behind us so that they'll know to do the same. Yes. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that the notes you took from our guests will help you as you plan and build your career. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. View from the big chair, examining the cost to be the boss. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, and I thank you again for listening.